Hey, thanks for joining us online today. I'm Kevin, lead pastor here at Thrive Church. Have you ever met somebody who's become cynical? Like as they got older, they became more cynical. It's not skeptical. It's not, you know, being a little doubtful, but cynical, meaning that they see nothing positive the older they get. Everything is almost like in this Christmas season, bah humbug. Well, during this series called A Grinchy Christmas, we want to show you how we, how we become cynics. Maybe you're becoming a cynic and you're realizing it and you don't like uh, the fact that you're becoming more negative as you get older because of life experiences. We want to show you, and we're going to look at the Grinch because this happened to him as a hopeful young little Grinch. He became what we know, uh, have known as the Grinch. We want to show you how we can become cynics and then the cure for this disease called cynicism how we can move back to having hope again as individuals, how, how we can be healed from our hurts. And so I hope you enjoy this series uh, called A Grinchy Christmas, and I pray that God would heal your heart and help you to destroy cynicism and build hope again in your life. I have a confession to make before we jump into the message. Um, I'm a cynic. And as we've been journeying through this series, it's become more and more evident that I, Keith Rowell, am a cynic. And let me tell you one of the times I knew, I could, as I began to think back, when did it begin, Keith? When did it start? I remember the year was 1998. And as I say that, some of you sitting here are like, mm, he's really, really young. He's a child. He's a baby. And then others are like, I wasn't even born then. But let me paint you this picture. We get up, me and my brothers, and my parents say one of the most exciting phrases. They said, Keith, David, Stephen, today we're going to go to Kate's Skating Rink. Whew. See, I grew up in Monroe, North Carolina for the first half of my childhood. And let me tell you, there was nothing to do there except go to Kate's Skating Rink. And me and my brothers, we each had our own pair of rollerblades. And we were so pumped, we were so excited because we got to use them. Because normally we were restricted to the carport because that was the only area of concrete where we lived. I said, but first, we're going to go look at houses. My parents were looking at moving. But we're like, all right, you know what? We're cool. I can, I can deal with this. I can, I, I, I can cope with this. We can go look at some houses, then we'll go skating. This will be awesome. I'm looking forward to Because, again, I was pumped to skate to them pop pits in 1998, them Backstreet Boys in sync. Hanson, come on, mbop, come on. So me and my brothers, we wait patiently. We're quiet. We're respectful because we know if we're not, a couple hours go by. We're still looking at houses. We're on our way to another house. And begins to dawn on us. We begin to question my parents and their integrity. And then it happens. Boys. We're not going to have time to go skating. I was wrecked. I was so ill. From that point on, cynicism began to set in. Anytime my parents said, we're going skating, I said, in my head, not out loud, because I would not be here. I said, I would believe it when I see it. Cynicism started continuing to take root. You see, for me, I'll be honest with you, if I'm not careful, I'm going to do what my parents did to me to my daughter. Because my daughter's starting to catch on. She's eight. When she says, hey, can we, whatever. And I say, maybe. She said, that means no. If I'm not careful, I'm going to cause cynicism even in my daughter. 
You see, cynicism is something that all of us deal with, that we cope with, that we kind of have to kind of grow through. And listen, maybe for you, you've, you've experienced cynicism, and maybe it was not like me wanting to go skating. Maybe it was not something so minor. Maybe you have faced cynicism maybe at your place of work, maybe within other relationships with your family because people continue to basically not follow through. Maybe it's happened within your marriage. Listen, all of us at some point in time face and have to navigate cynicism. And some of you today, maybe you're not quite a cynic, but maybe you're getting there. You see, that's why I love that we called this series a Grinchy Christmas, because that's what the Grinch is. See, he was this young Grinch who had hopes and dreams and was nice and had his hope dropped multiple times to where he just started hating people. You know, funny story, did not plan this. My daughter was watching the new cartoon Grinch movie yesterday at home, and I'm not watching it because I, I don't really, I didn't care to watch it, but it caught my attention when it said how old the Grinch was. I never knew how old the Grinch was. When he decided to destroy Christmas for Whoville, he was 53 years old. That means his cynicism started as a child and worked its way up to implosion at 53 years old. And I believe some of us, if we were to really be honest with ourselves, are kind of like that Grinch. We've been internalizing and internalizing and pushing down and keeping people away. And then one day, relationally, I'm not, hopefully you're not going to dress up like Santa Claus and go steal things from people's houses. But relationally, we implode. And whether that's by cutting people off or by keeping them away, we become cynics. And over the last number of weeks, last three weeks, we've talked about what a cynic is. But today, thankfully... We want to talk about how to cure cynicism. And I'm going to kind of tell you how to fix it, but I'm also going to, in a way, kind of, be, I guess, be a cynic. I'm going to be disencouraging because, see, cynicism is not a problem to solve. It's a tension that you and I, that we have to manage. We may feel like we've got it grappled and wrestled to the ground today, but then tomorrow we may have to start all over again. So understand, fighting cynicism it's an intentional battle that you and I, that we have to work through, that we have to fight through, that we have to keep in check daily. Because if we don't keep it in check, the cynicism, it spreads into every area of our life. Now, one thing we've done each week, we've talked about uh, a specific proverb that Solomon wrote. So if you got your copy of God's Word with me, turn with me to Proverbs uh, chapter 13, verse 12. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. And we opened up the series with this passage. We figured it would be very fitting to land the plane with it as well. And remember, if you've been with us last week, Solomon, he was the third king of Israel. He was the wisest man ever lived. At this time, ruled the most powerful nation that was established. And he also wrote another book called Ecclesiastes, which he was like the Grinch. It was like the, the Grinch book of the Bible. He was very uh, cynical and very critical, but... How he became that way, and as we read in this passage here, is the same way you and I, how we become a cynic, how we begin to filter our lives. So let's look at this passage. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. I love the way the message translation uh, has the same verse. This message translation says, unrelenting disappointment leaves you heart sick. Unrelenting disappointment. When you and I, when we are disappointed, 
over and over again when our hope is dashed or deterred, deferred, when we have our expectations not met over and over again, it makes our heart sick. We become cynical. We become cynics. And for you, listen, as I said before, cynicism is not something that just happens in one area and stays in one area. It spreads. For you, maybe cynicism, it didn't start like me as a kid, not getting to go skating because I'm a selfish brat. Maybe for you, maybe it started with a coworker that took credit for the hard work you did, and they're the one getting the raise. You see, typically we try to compartmentalize our cynicism. We try to leave it at work. We try to leave it at home, but eventually it's going to spread. And if it started at work, eventually you're going to start feeling cynical and second-guessing each individual that you come in uh, contact with. It's going to start at work. It's going to uh, kind of move into your family and your house. Then from there, it's going to go from there to your friends until next thing you know, you're walking around like this. Next thing you know, you're a 53-year-old Grinch ready to implode and steal Christmas and ruin everything in Whoville. But here's what I want us to do. I want us to have a heart of hope. I want us to no longer live cynical. I want us to no longer live from a place of hurts, but live from a place of hope. That instead of second-guessing everyone's intentions, well, you know what? They said this. this, Bill said the same thing that Carl said to me three years ago, and I don't like Carl anymore, so Bill, I don't like you either. Those are fake names. If your name is Bill or Carl, this is not about you. But here's our band is that the cure for cynicism is, this is what me and you, we have to understand, is that the cure for cynicism is restoring a heart of hope. Our cure for cynicism, your cure for your cynicism is to have and restore a heart of hope. Now, one question that you may think to yourself, Keith, that's fantastic, but how do you define hope? What is hope? Well, this is going to be our working definition It's going to be up there. Write it down because this is what you need to know is that hope is a confident expectation in God. Hope is a confident expectation in God, in his strength, in his faithfulness, in his love. And notice I did not say a confident expectation in your spouse, a confident expectation in your parents, a confident expectation in your job. No, because people and things will fail you every time. But God, God is faithful. God is just. God is loving. God is for us. He's not against us. God says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Our friends and family will leave us and forsake us if we don't do what they want. Your boss, don't listen to your boss and see if he will leave or forsake you. He will drop you and fire you like a bad habit and find someone else to replace you. We must have a confident expectation in God. And when I say this, when I say a confident expectation, to me, there is no better thought process of it than the very chairs that you are sitting in right now. Because there are times, I had a friend of mine, he, there was this stool, actually it was here. It was this very nice black stool that the acoustic guitarist would use, and he went and sat on it, and it crumbled underneath him. Because it was just an old stool. But he sat down with confidence that this thing's going to be all right. Listen, a confident expectation means you don't have to work for it. It's just known. It's just there. And you and I, we need to have a confident expectation, a hope in God. Because people will fail us and things will break down. 
And the reason why this is so important is that, see, understand that God wants to use you where you're at. God wants to use you at work. He wants to use you at the house. He wants to use you while you're shopping, while you're doing whatever you're doing, however you're living your life. He wants to use you and let the hope that you have in him be a beacon of light to other people. That when you're able to survive and thrive and get it thrive, that things and people do not weigh you down. They do not hold you back. And the other reason why this is so important is we have this individual called the enemy, enemy of our soul, Satan. And see, he has a strategy with this also. And for him, he wants you and I to be so hurt by people that we stop trusting people, that we, stop, that we start pushing everyone away. But it's not just so that we're so hurt that we push people away, that we become cynical of people. Not just so much that we just become cynics of everybody and everything, but he wants us to be hurt so bad that we stop trusting God. That we start taking our hurt and we start blaming God for what someone else did. See, there are times in life where you and I, where we're going to have the cynicism, where the enemy of our soul, Satan, is going to try to destroy and mess up what God is doing in our lives. Because you may still believe in God. You may still believe in the power of prayer. But here's what starts happening. The cynicism is it starts kind of creeping in. You start having more doubt instead of faith. You start having these moments when you see someone share on Facebook about what God did. And your first response is not the like button. Your first response is, mm, I don't know about that. You become cynical. And what happens is, is the cynicism continues to fester. We begin to blame God. Listen, God did not cause your, child, your spouse to cheat. God did not cause the relationship to fall apart. God did not cause, listen, circumstances happen. God is not, it's not God's fault. Though so easily we want to make it his fault because we have to blame somebody. Eventually we got to, why don't we just blame God? Let's just blame God for everything. But really it's not his fault. It's other people. Sometimes it's ourselves. Sometimes it's just circumstances and situations. So here's what we need to do. Here's what we need to gather. How in the world, Keith, are we supposed to not make God pay for what people did? How are we supposed to actually restore and have a heart of hope? What is our next step? Well, here's what I want us to do. This is what David wrote in Psalm chapter 39, verse 7. He says, And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. He didn't say he was waiting for stuff. He, he said that his hope is in the Lord, not in people, not in things. In Psalm chapter 33, verse 18, it says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. The eye of the Lord, the favor of God, is on those who hope in his steadfast love. Steadfast meaning unfailing, because isn't God's love unfailing? Isn't God's love perfect? Isn't God's love unconditional? The favor of God on those who hope in his steadfast love. So what's our next step? What in the world are we supposed to do? How do we restore and have a heart of hope? This is our next step. My next step, your next step. Write this down. Lean your ladder of hope on God, not people or possessions. Lean your ladder of hope on God, not people or possessions. One of my favorite things to watch on YouTube are fails. When things go wrong, if you grew up in the 90s, that's called America's Funniest Home Videos. And I found out that's still on. But one of my favorite ones is people putting ladders where they're not supposed to 
and then they fall and get hurt, and then they're surprised that they fell and got hurt. You see, our life, when it comes to our hope, it's like a ladder. And so often we lean our ladder on things that are going to fail, they're going to fall apart. We're going to lean on, oh, you know, I'm going to lean on my spouse. My spouse is so good. She's fantastic. And then she's going to let me down. I love my wife. Lauren, the job will keep me secure, financially secure. I ain't got to worry about nothing human. Well, it's okay. I'm, I'm going to lean over here on my job. My job will keep me secure, financially secure. I ain't got to worry about nothing. Oh, man, we hit a recession. Uh, all right, what? And it's going to fall. You see, when we lean our ladder of hope, we put our hope in people or things, we're going to be disappointed. And disappointment over and over and over again leads to cynicism. The only way that we can have a heart of hope is when we lean our ladder on God. Lean our ladder on what he says in his word. Lean our ladder on the faith that we have in him, on the fact that he cares for us, that he is faithful, he is just, that he is stronger, that his strength is made perfect in my weakness, that his peace goes beyond my understanding. When I lean my ladder of hope on God, it doesn't matter what happens with everything else. I lost my job. That's all right. God will provide. Oh, my marriage on the market. God will sustain. God will restore. When we lean our ladder of hope on God, we can have peace. We can have joy. We can have rest no matter what's going on around us. But so often, our ladder's leaned in the wrong place. And when it falls and collapses, we're surprised. How in the world did that happen? You see, the scary part is we talk about leaning our ladder, but the, here's, here's the part that I think sometimes that we miss. We're on the ladder. So when the ladder falls and we, I'm like, you know, I'm going I'm to I'm I'm lean it on my job. I'm going to climb this ladder thinking that my job is going to hold me up. And eventually I'm going to get towards the top of the ladder of my hope. Man, I've trust me, my job is fantastic. And then something detrimental will happen. I'll get a pay cut or something wrong. I'll have turmoil on the job. My ladder falls. The higher we go, the, far, the farther it is that we fall. The more disappointment that we meet, the harder it hits. We cannot lean our ladder of hope on anything other than God. And here's how we do this. There are two things that you and I, we cannot do. That if we want to lean our ladder of hope on God, the first thing is we cannot have misplaced trust. Do not have misplaced trust. Make sure your trust is in the right place. Jesus said this in John chapter 2, verse 24. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. In this part, in this passage of Scripture, what's happening is people were talking about believing in Jesus. And Jesus says, I don't trust them because I know people. You see, there's a difference in trusting people and trusting in people. You see, so often what happens is we begin to put the trust that's reserved only for God, we put it into something or someone else. And when we do that, that's us, again, leaning our ladder on something that's not the Lord. And listen, it is okay to trust people. Because if you don't trust people, all we're doing is we're hurting them for what someone else did. But the difference is trusting in people. You see, the, the best way to describe it me trusting people is me leaning my ladder on God, and there's people at the bottom to make sure I don't fall. That's trusting people. Trusting in people is me leaning my ladder on somebody and hoping and praying that they can hold me up. They can't. They're going to drop you. We have to lean our ladder on God. We have to trust in God because he deserves 
a specific level of trust in our life, that if we truly believe that he is our Savior, if we truly believe he is our creator, that he is our God, our Lord, then we have to lean our ladder of hope on him because people will let us down, things will break, and we do not, I don't want to fall. So do not put your trust in the wrong place. Don't misplace your trust if you want to lean your ladder of hope on God. Here's the second thing we have to do. We have to destroy misconstrued expectations. We have to destroy misconstrued expectations. I'm going to be honest with you. This is probably the area that I, I struggle with the most. Because I, like most people, I, I put really high expectations on others. And I think they have to measure up. Man, you better get it together. And I'll be honest with you. I'll be very open, transparent. Especially in preparing for this, I began to realize that I do this to my wife. And we had a very great open conversation yesterday that was very awkward. I began to realize that my ladder of hope may have been in the right place, but my expectations were way too lofty and high. I was living in this fantasy world thinking, because again, part of my personality type, to be honest with you, perfectionism is kind of one of the things that kind of just sprouts out. It happens. And I have to keep that in check. Why? Because none of us are perfect. The only person that was ever perfect was Jesus Christ, and he's resurrected in heaven waiting for us. So listen, do not have these high expectations. Because see, here it is. We talked about in the very first week, when expectation and reality meet, you get disappointment. The goal is that reality and, and our expectation need to be as similar and realistic as possible. Because the greater the gap, the greater the disappointment. Do not have these crazy fantasies that people are going to live up to because they're not. Because we're all human and we all will make mistakes. We will fall short. You see, this Christmas season is all about hope. And it's not hope in people. It's not hope in stuff. It is hope in Christ and Christ alone. Paul Wright said, faith, hope, and love will remain. And we cannot let the enemy of our soul, Satan, continue to defeat us continue to hold us back by us allowing cynicism to take root and drive the bus. And it happens because our hope is in the wrong place. We're living in disappointment. And the only thing we can do is we need to take our ladder of hope, take it off of people, take it off of stuff and lean it on the Lord. Trust in people. It's okay. I mean, trust people. Don't trust in people. But when our ladder of hope is on the Lord and him alone, he will sustain us. He will, we will grow in Christ. But here's the deal. All of this is great and it's very selfish. As I said earlier, us living in hope is not about you and me. It's about you and I, when we face hard times, beacon of light in our community. That when you and I, when we face hard times, when we face difficulties, our ladder is not collapsed because it's not on that, it's on the Lord. And when people see that happen, when they see the faith and the hope that you have in the Lord, it's going to be a beacon of light that you get to just declare to them the goodness of God, that you can give him glory. Why? Because he deserves it because it's his reason. He is our hope. I remember uh, when I was younger in middle school, uh, my family and I, we were uh, hitting hard times financially. And our electricity got turned off. I remember us sitting there eating uh, pretty much like plain sandwiches, like jelly sandwiches, apple jelly sandwiches, no peanut butter, just bread, apple jelly, bread, nothing else. And I remember my dad going to the mailbox and someone 
We did not know. To this day, I don't think I'd have to ask them. We never discovered who it was. Uh, Put grocery gift certificates in our mailbox for the local grocery store. And this was back in the day where it wasn't like a card. It was actually slips of, there's like certificates that you had to take and show them to the grocery store. And I remember my dad talking to me about, hey, how God provided. And I've never, I've never forgotten that. That in that turmoil, I began to realize, you know, my dad was never, he, he's never been one to worry about finances. And it's not because my dad's wealthy, because he's not. It's because he has the, his hope, his ladder is in the right place. And I think so many of us, we get so stressed, we get so cynical, we get so burned down and weighted down on things that we shouldn't even have to worry about because it's not ours to worry about. We need to take our ladder and lean it on the Lord and allow him to guide us, allow him to direct us and allow, allow him to use us to declare his goodness and his glory into lives and to the people around us. So here's what we're gonna do. When we leave today, you're going to feel good. You're gonna feel encouraged. And then tomorrow is gonna happen. Actually, you know what? Christmas Eve, Christmas is gonna happen. You're gonna be around your family and your relative who you can't stand is gonna say something and you're going to get so cynical in your mind. You wanna tell them off. I believe that God is gonna challenge us this week that before Wednesday even happens, I'm, I'm gonna be challenged to not be cynical. And I gotta be make sure that my ladder of hope is in the right place. And guess what? I can't do it. I can't do that myself. I need God's help because my default is to be cynical. My default is to be negative. My default is to be a jerk and to make other people miserable. My default is to make expectations so high that no one will ever measure up. But you know what? God will help us. God will guide us. God will direct us. Why? Because he loves us. He loves us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. And he sent a very specific time. You see, when Jesus came to this earth, it wasn't just some randomized thing. The God said, you know what? Now's a good time. The children of Israel had become so cynical. They were waiting for their Messiah to come to help get them out from underneath Roman rule. The Roman rule, the empire was ruining their life. They were treating them like second-rate individuals. They become cynical. And it was in that God sent hope. God sent Jesus. And it was in that period of time, it was such a precise moment of history that has rippled to now. Why? Because everybody did something. No, because God was in control and God is still in control. God wants to be in control of your life, of my life, of my expectations, of your expectations. But it only happens if we have our ladder of hope leaned on him. It only happens if we actually find healing and stop living from a place of hurt and we live from a place of hope. We have to stop placing our trust in the wrong places and the wrong things. We have to stop setting expectations so high. God wants to help us. The question is, will, you, will we let him? That's really what it comes down to. But I wanna pray that God would help us with this. That as we end this series of Grinchy Christmas, that this moment would be like the moment at the end of the Grinch movie where he is standing on the mountaintop and he picks up that sled and his heart grows three times that size, which is literally humanly impossible. And I want us to live from a place of hope. And I believe today is the day we take that step. If you would pray with me this morning.